All right, so this morning, um, I, I gotta let you know, I don't do much traveling. I'm not a big traveler. Um, maybe once a year, I, I make it to an airport, I get on an airplane, I fly somewhere. Um, the most is a couple times a year. And some of you are thinking, well, I would love that. I fly all the time, and that's too much. Um, I'd love to fly just a couple times a year. Some of you are thinking, that's a lot. You fly twice a year? Um, that's a lot. Well, I did it. A couple weeks ago, um, I went to a retreat, a pastor's retreat in Louisville, Kentucky. And there was a small group of us, pastors, we got together, and it was a great time. Um, refreshing, renewing, but also challenging. We brainstormed together. We, we learned some things together. We played together. It was good for me, and hopefully in return it'll be good for you um, as a church. And I, I, I made that flight. I flew out of Manhattan. As I left Manhattan um, here, I noticed a couple families from Crestview. There were a couple people that we were flying on the same flight together. So we chatted about our flight back, and I realized... We weren't flying home together, so we got to Dallas, we said our goodbyes, and away we went on our journeys. Well, on my way home, um, my flight got delayed. I was in Louisville, my flight got delayed, um, and I ended up coming in later than I expected, and I knew one of those families was going to be there. So I texted them, and the Dawsons, actually, I had lunch with them in Dallas. It was a pretty cool thing to be able to do, to make some fellowship, to meet people there. And we get to our gate, and we realize there's other people from Crestview there. One of them, Bill Johnson, he sings on our worship team. He was at that gate, but we were sitting there chatting, and we got a little nervous because there was a lot of weather. And my first flight was already delayed, so now I'm already later, and now there's weather. Now, the weather in Dallas was fine. The weather in Manhattan was okay. But in between, it was going to be pretty rough. And we weren't sure. We're not experts. Is our plane even going to make it over the storms, through the storms, whatever it might take? But we got on the plane. They load us up. And we're taxiing out. And this is what they said. They came across. They said, it's going to be a rough ride, but your pilot's name today is Jesus. And I think we're going to make it home safely. (laughs) So here's what I got. Right? I got a text from Bill Johnson right about then. His message was, I feel pretty safe now. My, my pastor's on the plane, and a guy named Jesus is flying the plane. <laughs> I think we're going to be okay. But you've been, uh, you, all it takes is one or two flights, right? And you could probably give most of those announcements or come pretty close to it, right? Um, this is how you buckle your seatbelt. You put the metal clasp into the, the other metal thing, and you pull the strap, and they show you how to do that. And to release it, you just lift the lever, and it comes apart. Um, the exits, you know, there's two exits at the back of the plane, two at the side of the plane. If you, if you don't want to sit there, talk to that guy with the long legs. I raise my hand. I'll trade you seats. I always want that seat, right? Oxygen, it'll come down. If we ever, if we have problems, put it on you first and help somebody else. Your seat cushions. Lo and behold, if we land on a lake between um, Dallas and Manhattan, um, your seat cushions can be used as a flotation device. Your luggage should be stowed away in the compartments above or under the seat in front of you. No smoking. Don't mess with the smoke detectors in the bathrooms. You know, you could get arrested for that. That's no fun. Um, your seats have to be in the upright position. Your tray tables stowed away before we can take off, turn off all your electronic devices. You know the drill, right? There's a lot of rules and lists of what goes on in order to fly. But this is what I learned last week about flying. You can tell what's important to a person by the rules that they give. It's a big deal. You can tell a lot about a person by the rules that they have. The rules they have in their own lives, the rules that they give to the people around them, the rules that you have. Um, Whether it's airlines, I can tell what's important to the airlines. You know, TSA, what would they have to check, what they have to do. Churches, uh, to 
check your kids in, um, to send our kids to a different state. All the things we had to do to make sure everything was lined up, you know, good for us. The flood zones, you know, the rules that they were giving out for people that may live there or need to get out. What rules do you have? I believe if I showed up at your family's um, home this afternoon and spent a couple days with you, I'd be able to tell what's important to you by the rules that your family has. Whether they're unspoken or they're written out somewhere and you have a list of rules somewhere, I can tell, and it may not even be what's written out. I can tell what's important by the rules that you enforce. What rules do you stand by? What rules do you actually make happen? So today we're going to talk about some of God's rules. In fact, not just today, this is our summer series. So all summer long, we're going to talk about God's rules, the Ten Commandments. This is, this is a list. They're timeless. They've been around for thousands and thousands of years, and I don't think they're going away anytime soon. These are timeless rules for life. And today we're going to just jump into some background, how we got there, some context, why do we have them? The rules that God gave show us what's important to him and why we should follow that as well. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, I would love for you to kind of read through that. Actually, Exodus 19 and 20, we're going to spend a little time in both. Um, and you're going to see something throughout it. Um, these, these rules are also in Deuteronomy 5. So they're listed a couple places in Scripture, um, and you can see that. But let me give you just a little background in this, because I think this is an important buildup before we get to the list, important buildup to it. So the Israelites, God's people, had been slaves for 400 years to the Egyptians. Pharaoh had them under slavery for 400 years. Now catch this, remember, it, this, isn't, this isn't a couple weeks they weren't in prison for a couple months or even a couple years, 400 years. There were generations of people that didn't know any different. Their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents had been slaves, and they didn't know any different. Their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids were going to be slaves and didn't know any different. And there were generations of people that that's all they knew was slavery. And God comes along and says, I want to free you from this slavery. Let's move away from this. And he goes to a guy named Moses, and Moses said, no. No, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. God said, yes, you can. I'm going to be with you. And so he stepped up and he comes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, let these people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And along comes the plagues and God shows himself how much he cares about the Israelites because the plagues hit the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. And after each plague, Moses comes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he says, no, each one until the last one. And Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. I can't take this anymore. Take these people and leave. And it's not just a couple dozen people. Remember this. Think through this. Big picture. Two million people. Moses is leading out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land that God has given them. And they have to go out into the desert to get there. Two million people. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Um, it, it takes a lot of effort and faith to step away from that. That's what they're used to. They understood how to be slaves. They were living in that, and now it's something new. But think about it. They had to be fed. It, we're, we're prepped and ready here with the Red Cross. We know that if even six people show up here, you know, people have to be fed. What are we going to do? How are we going to make that work? Think about it. Two million people have to be fed. Um, research shows it took 1,500 tons of food a day to feed this amount of people. That's a lot of coordination, a lot of understanding of food and what it takes. Oh, yeah, water was a part of that. 
right? Now we have too much here, right? But they needed some. They were in the desert. And let's just put it in perspective. Two million people, if everybody had a five-gallon jug of water, five-gallon bucket of water just a day, that's all you had to bathe, to, to drink, to do whatever you needed to clean stuff with, it's 10 million gallons of water a day that they needed to make this happen. And then they get to the Red Sea, and there's a mountain beside them, and a mountain beside them, and the Red Sea in front of them. The Israelites decided they didn't want, or the Egyptians decided they didn't want the Israelites to leave, so they're chasing them down, and now they're trapped. And God provides a way out, and He doesn't provide a single path, you know, single file path for them. It's overnight they cross the Red Sea. So 5,000 at a time had to be walking across. God provided a way to safety for all of these people. Now, I have to think about it. I wonder if Moses had all this figured out before they left. Did he have a plan? Did he know everything that was going to happen before they left and headed out to the desert? I doubt it. I believe there was something in him that he understood something was going to happen. Maybe they had some concepts and some ideas of how to eat, how to drink, what they were going to do. But I don't think they had it all figured out. What was going to happen when they got to the Red Sea? God led them through this and God provided for them. So after this happens, three months into their journey, they've crossed the Red Sea, three months into their journey, they've been fed um, for three months, they have water for three months, God has protected them for three months, they get to this place called Mount Sinai. Um, This is where we catch up. This is um, Exodus chapter 19, um, Mount Sinai. This is actually a mountain in Saudi Arabia. Um, A lot to do with some politics, some military um, happenings in our recent history, in our lifetime. And it's not a place, it's not a vacation destination. Not many people go there for fun. In fact, the, the Saudi Arabian government wouldn't let you get up on this mountain if you tried to get there anyway. So it's a tough place to get to, um, to go and visit. But this is where God leads these people, and this is where they're at um, when God gives them these Ten Commandments. But here's, here's an amazing thing with it. You see this in the second half of Exodus 19. It's not just that Moses went to meet God on the mountain. God came to meet Moses on the mountain. Here's another picture of it um, on top of this mountain. It's actually burnt. It's, it's charred. And if you read through that scripture, you will notice the reason why is because God came down to meet Moses. And when God came down to meet Moses, he came with fire. And that's the location that God came to meet his people at. And so when Moses went up to the top of the mountain, you can read through that. Um, I think that's the amazing part. It's not just that Moses went up, God came down, and here's where we're at. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I want you to see this. I think this is an important line before we get to the commandments. It says it this way. God says to him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I want you to circle or highlight or underline or something, make, make a mark under the word your. Maybe you wouldn't think that's an important word in this sentence, but I think it's an important word in this sentence as we unpack it this way. The word your is important. I am the Lord, your God. God makes it personal in this. And notice what he reminds him. I brought you out of Egypt. I have fed you. I've made sure you had water. You know, I got you out of slavery. You're free people now. I am your God. I'm the one who did this with you. He's been working on something. And I believe what he's been working on is a relationship. 
He's been showing how much he cares for them before he gives them the rules. Before the rules come, a relationship happens. So here's the second thing that I noticed. Write this one down as well. God's commands are not a condition of a relationship. They are a confirmation of a relationship. It's not a, it's, it's not a condition. You know, now that we have these rules and I follow these rules, now I have a relationship with God. It's a confirmation. Because I have a relationship with God, now I have these rules. And we have to make sure that we understand it that way. If you have the rules, you already have a relationship. Let me give you this example. Maybe this will explain it just, just a little bit better. I know um, school's not in session right now, but there are still summer classes at K-State. So let's say I just go for a stroll this afternoon on campus. I just show up at K-State. I'm walking through campus, headed to um, the Union just to hang out, and I come across this girl. She's walking my direction, and I just stop her. Young girl, freshman, sophomore, I don't know. Um, I don't know her. I don't know her name. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know my name. She doesn't know what I do, anything. We've never met before. But let's say I walk up to this girl, and I say, hey, you, I want you to stop dating. Right? No dating. You shouldn't date at all. No dating for you ever again. What do you think she's going to say? <laughs> hey, old man, get away from me, right? This is weird. You're, you're weird. You're being crazy. I'm a little nervous. I need some help, right? It, it would be weird to do that. Why? Because I don't have a relationship with her. But let's go back in time, all right? April and I have been married 24 years, um, it's, which it's a long time. Um, it, our kids are going to be gone this week, right? So um, we're celebrating. Um, but... It, Let's, say, let's go back 24 years ago when I um, asked April to marry me, the night we got engaged. Let's say after that, the next morning, let's say that I came to April and I said, all right, honey, um, we just got engaged. Uh, no more dating. All right. Not that she was before. OK. Or not that I was before. But let's just let's say um, let's we're not going to date anyone else. Right. How do you think that would go over? Pretty good. Right. That would work. Because we're making this agreement. Why? Because we have a relationship. And that's usually a part of a relationship when it comes to that. Let me, okay, let me try this again. Let me say I grabbed your kids on their way out. Um, they get checked out of class. I stand by the door and I'm, I gather your kids around me. I say, all right, kids, I'm going to give you some house rules. I'm going to write up some rules for you to obey when you get home. You can't do this. You can't do that. You, sh- you need to do this. And you need to do that. Um, some of you are thinking, please, <laughs> would you please do that? I need that to happen. I would love it if you gave my kids some rules to obey. But what, what would happen? They wouldn't do it. It wouldn't work. Even if you gave me the rules to to give to them, that wouldn't work because I'm not there. I'm not their parent. I'm not the one that enforces those rules. You have to do that because you have the relationship with them. It has to come first. Rules, Rules without relationships leads to rebellion. If all we have is a list of rules but there's no relationship, we just rebel. That's how our government got started. Right? Taxation without representation. You can't tax me without a representation of that. I need somebody to speak on my behalf. We have a relationship with our government, even though it might not be personal. Somebody is looking out for us on what we do and represents us for, within our government for that so that I know what my taxes are being paid. Otherwise, we rebel. 
And it's happened in our country, rebellion with that, and we go that way. So God is saying, this is where I'm going with this, God is saying, listen, I brought you out of slavery. I am your God. I have a relationship with you. I, I provided food for you. Um, I've provided safety for you, water for you, freedom for you. I am your God. He built a relationship first, and then he's going into the list of rules. And this is some research that I've done of how we got to the Ten Commandments. So watch this. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I don't forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15, Wait. 10, 10 commandments for all to obey. <laughs> As your pastor, I promise to show that video whenever we talk about the 10 commandments or Moses. Okay. I've showed it before. We'll do it again. Um, it's a good one. Um, Mel Brooks. Uh, no, no, don't get your theology from Mel Brooks, but it's, it's good. Okay. The 10 commandments. Here they are. Most of you know them, whether you could list them out or not, you know, in a game show or not, but here they are. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make yourselves an idol. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Keep the Sabbath. And keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not covet your neighbor's stuff. This is what's important to God. This is what God is saying. This is what I value. These things are important to me. And I want you to have a successful life and follow these things. So this summer, this is what we're going to do. We're going to break some of these down. I think the first two, they kind of tell us this story. They say prioritize well. What priorities do you have in life? Who's first in your life? What is first in your life? What priority do you put first in your life? And then he says, honor my name. And it's not just do you swear or not swear, what words do you use, but do you honor God's name? How important is that? Balance your schedule. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Is your schedule balanced or do you let that schedule get out of balance and put things before God? Develop strong families. Value life. More than just, you know, do not murder. I think he's teaching us something there. Value life. And what does that look like to us? Keep your marriage vows. Value others' possessions. Tell the truth. When you speak, tell the truth. And then discover contentment. What does it look like to be content in this world and in this life? How is contentment measure to us? And what do we do with that? Now, there's only 10. That's it. 
But we've learned over time as well that I have to or not do or do these 10. And if I don't, I'm out, right? I'm sorry, you broke that one, you're out. You know, that's the way we've often been taught. And it should be easy, (laughs) all right? There's only 10, come on, guys, just 10. There's not 15, there's not 100, there's just 10. I heard somebody say it this way one time, we have written 10,000 rules to get around these 10 so that we don't have to obey these. But we do. We look at these list of rules and we say, okay, here am I. I'm right here and here's God. And in between me and God are, are these rules. And if I obey these rules, I get closer to God. If I don't obey these rules, then I'm stuck. I can't get to God. And we often look at it this way. Here am I, here is God, and the rules are in between. But I don't think that's what God's intention was. And I think we're going to see this through the summer. His intention was not to separate us from him. We have to go back to that first point. He didn't set it up that way. He built a relationship with us first. His relationship comes first. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He accepted us even before he wrote the rules for us. And we see that capped in the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were still sinners... While we were breaking these rules, Jesus died for us. Now, these rules are important to him. This is what he values, but he loves us. And I believe these rules, these Ten Commandments, are here to remind us of that relationship, of how much he does love the Savior that was given for us. They actually give us freedom. More than they restrict us, they free us in life. So here's the last thing that I want us to see this morning. God's laws are not to limit our lives, but they're to enhance our lives. These are important for us to live a better life, not to restrict us in how we live in our lives. They are actually given to us to give us freedom. The boundaries are set up so that we have freedom, not to restrict, but to open that up. The reason I can get on a plane and fly on a plane is because they have rules. And if everyone obeys those rules, then we get to fly. But until everyone does what the rules say, they don't take off. So the freedom that comes with flying is because we obey the rules. The freedom that we get with God is because he has set some rules up for us, and he wants us to obey those because he knows that's what's best for us. Um, Author Leroy Lawson, he wrote it this way concerning the Ten Commandments. He said, they have been abused and battered ever since they arrived on the scene, but they can't be destroyed. They won't go away. They continue to set in judgment on generation after generation. They remain the great moral touchstone for the nations. Even if we don't obey them, we can't do without them. We need these in our lives. And here's the great thing. And you might be asking, why, why are we studying Old Testament stuff? These are Old Testament rules, right? Shouldn't we be studying grace? Don't we live under this thing called grace? Isn't that what Jesus gave us? We don't have to obey those old things anymore. Grace is where we live. True. But grace comes with truth. And I believe that when we break these down and we understand and we study the Old Testament and we see the truth that comes through these laws and what God set up, what's important to him, and we couple that with grace and what Jesus gave us, when we get truth and grace, it's a beautiful thing. 
if we just get one or the other, it's harsh. If we have truth without grace, grace, it, it is harsh. And it's hard. If we have grace without truth, we don't have that relationship then anymore with God. Um, I heard it this way as well. I think one of the greatest dangers that we have in our society today is that we will become a second commandment church. A second commandment church. Now I know there's 10 and you're like, again, what was the second one? No, this is going to the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament when somebody questioned him and they said to him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If we follow those two commandments, we'll see in the 10 that those can be all brought together in those two. Our danger is that we just become a second commandment church. We just show grace. We just love each other. And we see that um, in our society, um, social justice and what happens with that in our world. The danger is all we do is love each other and we forget why we should love each other. Why do we do that? Why is the second commandment important? Second commandment's important because of the first one. Love the Lord your God first. And then love each other because of that. Show them truth and show them grace. And when we bring truth and grace together, God can do amazing things through us. So what does he want from us? I think he wants us to follow his timeless rules, the things that are important to him, to follow those foundations in our life that will build our life for the better. And then like he said to Moses, come and meet him. Come to him. Come to where God is and let him meet you there also. And let that grace and truth play out. And as we unpack this this summer, I hope that that happens. Um, Bring somebody with you. If you want some prayer, even this morning, there's someone that would love to pray with you to encourage you, um, whatever's going on in your life. So right now, if we would stand, let's get our hearts ready to remember what Jesus did for us.